Did you know locum's docs make on average 33% more than employed docs? Got your attention now? So if you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or maybe even 20. Locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information and tools to see what the trends are in your specialty and even make a decision if locums is right for you. My advice, make locumstory.com the go-to place to learn more about locum tenants. That's locumstory.com. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I have Dr. Rachel Consoli, uh, OB-GYN, um, with a very circuitous path uh, that I think you all are going to be really interested. Dr. Rachel, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So um, if you go to your LinkedIn um, or if you kind of just do, if I do my normal internet sleuthing, um, I can see that you've been all over the world practicing literally in every continent um, of the world, I think, except Antarctica, correct? That is correct. Right. So right now you are joining us all the way from South Korea, correct? That's right. That is correct. I'm in South Korea right now. It is 6.36 in the morning for me right now on, I'm going to give the date too, because I'm sure the date must must be different too. So it is 6.36, August, uh, August 22nd. What is the date and time where you are at? So not so different, but it's 7.36 p.m. And it is still Monday, August 22nd for me as well. So 13 hours. Wow. Wow. So how long have you been in South Korea? And tell us what you are practicing, what you're doing over there. So I've been in South Korea since May 8th, and I've been here I, in the American Medical Association, the Journal of the American Medical Association. They had an advertisement in the whole page, and it said, be a hero to our heroes. The Department of Defense um, needs experienced physicians, specifically OBGYNs, to come and help the military overseas. So I applied and they gave me four choices, Italy, Germany, Japan, or South Korea. My sister happens to work at Osan Air Force Base, which is the Air Force Base about an hour from where I'm at, the Camp Humphreys Army Base. And so I thought I'll go to South Korea and be an hour away from my sister. So I chose to come here. A lot of my friends at the American Medical Association, where I do a lot of volunteer work and I'm on a lot of committees, they really highly suggested that I try this because they know I love to try. Travel. I love to go to new places, meet new people, see new cultures. And so they said, go for it. And I did. And here I am. Wow. Now, how long is this assignment going to be? So originally it was for 12 months. However, wow. they re- asked me to stay for 36 months, so three years. So in those three years, I can either stay here in South Korea or go to another hospital that perhaps has a greater need for an experienced OBGYN. Just to give you an example, the two new OBGYNs that came to our practice are right out of residency. So someone with you know 27 years being a physician is an asset to, to them, to the practice and to the hospital, of course. Wow. So there's a lot of things that you've seen experience-wise that they obviously have not seen before. You can tell them, nah, I wouldn't do that if I were you type of, exp- I get it. I get it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And especially, you know, I've delivered, before I came to Korea, I had delivered 12,100 babies in my career. And um, so far I've delivered 13 since May Uh, 9th when I started, May 8th, May 9th when I started. So um, we're strong, starting strong and going to finish strong here. Now, what's your daily schedule like? What what does Dr. Consoli's, you know, week look like? 
So um, I'm on, so that we have clinic uh, Monday through Friday, uh, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then I'm on call uh, about nine to 10 times a month, a 24 hour call. And then um, also about one to two weekends a month. Now, just two new people just came, the ones I just said right out of residency. So now we'll just be one weekend a month and um, eight calls a month. However, up until now, it's been nine to 10 calls a month and two weekends a month. Okay. So when you are on call and when you are you know, practicing, is it extremely similar to the United States? Is it different? Are the local, um, you know, regulations, health, uh, um, what's the word I want to use? The protocols, are they different in South Korea compared to U.S.? So this is a very different um, type of locums that I'm doing here in the sense that um, this is an American um, military base. It's an American yeah. army base. So we're doing falling ACOG going by pretty similar protocols that we would do in the United States. However, we do have local nurses. We do have local physicians that we work with and, you know, gynonc and any of the really subspecialties in OB are certainly um, local Korean. And we have to sometimes refer patients to the local Korean hospitals because we do not have a NICU. However, this mm. is the first time in my life that I've been overseas where we're following American protocols because everywhere else I've been, we follow the local protocol, the local hospital, and it's very different, extremely different. Mm. Now, in terms of downtime, when you have downtime, like what are you doing? I hear South Korea, like the, the nightlife is really good. I hear technology is <laughs> off the chain over there, obviously. Soccer yes. is amazing there. Korean barbecue is amazing there. Which yes. I try. So <laughs> tell us about all that stuff. Sure. So um, when uh, the weekends that I have off, usually we, um, when I say we, I mean my sister and I and my niece, who's 12 years old, we've gone to Seoul, we've gone to see the the needle, the high tower in Seoul. And um, there's museums in Seoul, which are very interesting. And you are correct. Um, we actually live what was what would be considered the countryside here where my um, army base is. And um, the local cuisine is outstanding. Korean food is really incredible. And you are correct. It is a lot of barbecue, but there's a lot of um, veggies and a lot of um, pickled uh, kimchi, et cetera, fermented uh vegetables and those are actually spectacular so i just tried that for the first time actually like two oh. weeks ago i put on some rice it was amazing i was like wait yeah. <laughs> how come nobody put me on on this before it's really good yes yeah, yeah. it is delicious it is delicious I, I enjoy it immensely so there's a lot to do there's a korea is actually you know one of the one of the nicest places i've been to you know it's different places i've been to like mongolia thailand i mean in the mountains of thailand uh, you know when you have a week a day off it's basically you just um, I have the wonderful opportunity to stay in your countryside village and speak to the local people and learn more about them and their lives rather than going around. This is actually a treat for me to be here. So over this, you said you're going to, it was initially 12 months. It's going to be what three years now. Yes. Are you coming back to the United States in between that time at all? Or this is like, you are gone for three years and that is it. Like, so probably gone for three years and that is it. Just like mm -hmm. when I was in South Sudan. I mean, it was three hundred. was one year and a half. And the one year and a half, I never left South Sudan. Um, even when I was in Mongolia, when I was in Thailand, I usually just stay where I'm at. If I, like when I was in Guam for two and a half years, I did travel, did a mission trip with a group of uh, physicians and nurses to Vietnam and um, to the Philippines. So, mm -hmm. you know, traveling in Southeast Asia, however not coming back to United States. 
Wow. Wow. That's really an interesting perspective that I think a lot of people want to know. They're like, well, what's the likelihood of me coming back and how am I going to connect? And it's really, that's fascinating, your perspective. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested. So let's, let's kind of rewind and go backwards uh, um, a bit. So you went to medical school, obviously. When you graduated from medical school, you wanted to actually be an ER doc, correct? That is correct. That is correct. So I like, um, I, I'm, I'm a very energetic person and I like um, the energy of the emergency department, right? So people come in Bless and it's heart, exciting. <laughs> it's stressful. It I is, avoid I, the, I love the it. ER as much as possible. I'm like, <laughs> let me do my consult and get out of here. So, but go ahead. <laughs> no. So I, I really enjoy that energy. I enjoy like coming through the door, trauma, this, that, call this one, call that one, do this. So I love that. And, um, so I did that for many, for actually 10 years. And I did that in many places, U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Thomas. That was fun. Um, all over the United States, North Dakota. So Alaska. you traveled, you traveled yes. even doing that. Yes. Yes. Right out of, right out of, um, right out of residency, even in residency, actually in residency twice, I um, did travel trips. I went to Belize for uh, one, uh, three months and then three months. So six months total in residency, I did a huge project for public health there and lived in the rainforest with the Mayan Indians. And um, it was actually fascinating because um I was the only person that was not Mayan in that whole entire community. So that was absolutely. So I've been traveling since I was 10 years old. However, in my, on my own as a physician since medical school. And of course, during residency and then after residency, I thought I love to travel. I love to see new things, mm. meet new people, get really be inundated with cases and learning. So I just started doing locums. And actually I did want to say though, I, you know, I do like to stay in the place where I'm at and travel around locally. However, many locums are able to go back to the States for their mm -hmm. vacation if they'd like. So that's all, that's, that's your prerogative. However, I choose to stay in the area. I choose to travel locally and et cetera. This episode is brought to you by locumstory.com. Backdrop, 2012, finishing my fellowship in Miami and no decision bigger than where and how I was going to start working on my own. And there it was, the fork in the road, being employed, versus something I had never heard of before, locum tenants. So I decided to go the locums route and I had a ton of questions then. I stumbled a bit, but eventually I was able to stand on my own and I have been working locums over the past 10 years. Now, what about you? If you're considering locums, you probably have hella questions just like I did. Like, who covers my malpractice? Do I really have control over how often I work? And what are the tax implications? Now, lucky for you, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from docs just like you. And there's nothing to sell here. It's just a simple resource for information, like finding out what's the average pay rate for your specialty. There's even a quiz to see if locums is right for you. So listen, take my advice. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. That's locumstory.com. Com. So you've been doing locums. I thought maybe you did locums when you finished your gyne residency, no. but actually you've been doing locums since ER, even before that, obviously, which you're mentioning yes. as a resident. And yes. then like, so why locums? Like why, like, like, what is it about locums that's so attractive to you? Like talk, cause I know you travel a lot, but talk to us about that. Cause a lot of people, they're like, I just need to stay at one place. And then maybe two, three years later, I'll go to another place and go from there. Why doesn't that fit for you? 
<laughs> so I have done, I have done locums on longer terms, one year, two year, three years. I have done that. I've also done one week, six weeks, like in Kodiak, Alaska, uh, I did six weeks um, as an ER physician. So um, it, it just depends on wh- what place, what place presents itself where I want to go. Um, people, you know, p- friends networking, hey, you'd be great to go to Guam. They need an OBGYN to help the underserved there, the people who have no insurance. And so um, it's been either presented to me or I choose. I enjoy traveling so quickly or or staying longer, depending. I just get bored very easily. Mm. And I really enjoy that excitement of going someplace new. And the reason why I choose locums, and particularly I usually go with uh, global medical staffing, is just because um, it's fun. They have fun places. They know my taste. They know I love doing exciting things like being the first OBGYN somewhere, uh, being the first uh, person to help start this project, safe motherhood, decrease maternal mortality rate. And so they know me very well. And, um, but even beyond that, it's, it's just an exciting lifestyle. I really enjoy it. Mm. So, you know, uh, let me, I probably should have explained it a little bit better in the beginning. What I meant by staying one to two years, I mean, like at a traditional job like that, oh, oh, obviously oh. you have no, you have no interest in that whatsoever. Um, is, it is pretty obvious. Um, so although, Go ahead, please. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, although I have, like in Boston, I consider um, where I work in Boston as my home base. So like when I am in between locum jobs or in between travel jobs, I do go back to Boston and work as an OBGYN hospitalist at my hospital. So they know me, and but they're so wonderful to me. They let me, if I say, hey, listen, I really want to go to Guam for two years. They're like, all right, we know you. Go ahead. So so how does that, how does that work? How do they balance that with, because I, I know like most hospitals are, look, we got to get staffing, right? And we need right. consistent staffing and blah, blah, Correct. blah, blah. Like their needs off. And I always, I always sell this to residents and I sell this to young physicians. I'm like, the needs of a hospital is not necessarily the needs of you, right? Correct. And, <laughs> and Correct. Now, you don't necessarily have to meet their needs, but I'm really interested. Like, how does all of that work? Like, how does that discussion occur that, hey, I'm out for two years or I'm out for this significant period of time, but I still want to stay on staff. How does that conversation even occur? Right. So that's depends. So like, for example, when I did, when I do shorter term, uh, I do stay on staff and then I come back and I uh, do uh, OBGYN hospitalist work, but it just depends that, you, you know, in, especially even in New England, which used to be the Mecca of medicine, which used to have overstaffing of physicians, there is a desperate need for basically any specialty, but especially OBGYN and even ER. So um, when I come back, I ask them, do you have any jobs? So they say, well, actually, believe it or not, we have an OBG. They always have an OBGYN hospitalist job, usually available and open. So I usually take that. However, um, I would be willing to do just about anything when I came back, just in between traveling. Now, because I came here for a longer term and because I'm actually... Um, with the Department of Defense, et cetera. So they, I did, they did request that I resign. So no problem. So I resigned. And uh, maybe at the end of three years, I'll go back. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I like to keep everything exciting. And, and I know people don't like that. People like stability. But I like things kind of sometimes like a surprise or up in the air. And I mean, not now up in the air, but I mean like in the future. And so um, they're very helpful to me. And I feel like I'm helpful to them because whenever I come back, they're like, oh my gosh, we need someone to do, you know, 24 hours Friday, 24 hours Sunday. No problem. So, you know, I also accommodate them what their needs are as well, as you said. 
Hmm. Now, when you do medical humanitarian work, do you differentiate that from like locum's work? Oh, um, yes. Okay. So explain the difference so the audience can understand oh, yes. the difference of that and, and can yeah, tell so, us some of your stories. Sure. So locum's work is, you know, is actually very nice. So someone arranges your um, licensure, arranges privileges, you go someplace, usually they pay for housing, they pay for traveling, and it's a it's, it has a salary, right? And has insurance, et cetera. When I do humanitarian work, I usually go with a huge organization. So no salary, no insurance, no retirement plan. And what I do is kind of see how I can arrange if they can just give me room and board. Usually they say, yes, that room and board is included. And then for a couple of different organizations, I actually had to raise money myself. Like when I went with CMMB to South Sudan to run the Safe Motherhood program, because at that that time they had the highest maternal mortality rate in the world. And um, I went there to run their Safe Motherhood program. And so I just asked for room and board. And then they said, well, you need to come up with X amount of money so that we can buy your ticket, et cetera. And I put out the word and everyone came flocking and I made the money to be able to be able to do that year of humanitarian work. So very different economically, very different as far as stability goes and as far as what people are able to do for you. So locums is, in my opinion, <laughs> compared to some of the things I've done, very stable, whereas humanitarian work can be unstable. Like when I was in South Sudan, I was there seven months and a war broke out where I was at. I was going to ask and, you about. Yes, yeah. absolutely. There was a tribal war. And so they had a, I had to go hide in the bush for two weeks with the local priest. He said, come, I'll hide you. And I was like, okay. So we hid in the bush and they were bringing me people with gunshot wounds, an old lady with a gunshot wound in the hip. And I took out the bullet and cleaned it out and all, you know, sewed her up. But, um, and they brought me ladies having babies in the middle of the bush. And so I did that for two weeks. And then the United Nations actually came and rescued me and they brought me to another village. And then I lived with these Italian nuns in this other village who ran like a hospital. Hospital. So and, wait, uh, before you even get to that point, so there was no yeah. part of you that was like, yo, I'm out after this. Like when the UN came, like, get me back to the United States. Tell no! me through that thought process of that. Yeah. Sure. So no, no, because um, I, I realized if I'm not there, no one's there. Mm-hmm. And if and, and I, even after the year, I mean, when I left, that's it. That's it. There's no OBGYN there. So that lady that had the ruptured ectopic pregnancy that I did a stat a laparotomy on her. If I wasn't there, she would have died. Mm-hmm. The other lady who had the footling breach, who if I didn't go in there and do a stat C-section, she, he, the baby of course would have died and she would have eventually died. So I didn't feel after seven months just because a war, I mean, I mean, the people there live with this every day. So why can't I just do it for one year? That's nothing. One year is nothing. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I'm super protected. I had the UN to come in and take me out. They don't have the UN to come in and take them out. They still were hiding in the bush even after I left. So I went to the other village. So no, no, I mean, I, I, it's, I mean, you have to stay with your people, the people you promised to help. So I feel like it was important for me to stay, even though they moved me out. So that was nice. But I, it was important for me to stay in my mind. That program that uh, that you went to South Sudan for and noticing that infant mortality rates were the highest in the world, like one, what did you identify to be the major issue 
with infant mortality. And then tell us more about this program so other people can learn about it also. Sure. So it's maternal mortality, and it was the highest in the world. Oh, uh, maternal so, mater- mortality. I'm sorry. I apologize. Correct. Okay. Yes. So it was um, between the year uh, 2015 and 2016. And the reason why, and I actually, when I went to South Sudan, I went to the area of South Sudan in a village called Ezo. E-Z-O, that's on the border of the Democratic Republic of Congo and Central African Republic. It's actually called the three country corner city. So because it has the three countries right there. And um, the reason the maternal mortality was so high, two very simple reasons, malaria and HIV. They actually had in that area, the highest percentage of HIV in the area, in the whole country. And so um, HIV mixed with malaria, mixed with no physician. Never mind me being the only OBGYN for 100,000 people. I was the only physician for that 100,000 people in that Azo County. So, I mean, that's the reason. That's the reason. Lack of care, lack of a, someone just mm. being able to do a C-section, something so simple. So, when you got back to the United States, what is it like seeing your first patient spending a year in that ex- experience? And I'm, I'm sure like labs and you know, follow-ups and all these things that we nor- are so normal run-of-the-mill here obviously is, you know, almost like a luxury over there. Talk to yes. us about when you first get yes. back. What's that experience like? So when I first get back, I like I said even before, I've been doing this since I was actually 10 years old. So with my dad, who was a physician who did a lot of humanitarian work as well. So coming back, it is a counter-cultural shock, yes, because, but I feel like in the hospital, um, it's not such a shock because I just know in my head to switch. However, like, for example, my first C-section, when I came back to Boston, I was saving suture. And they're like, Dr. Consoli, you're not in South Sudan. You're in Boston. You can use the entire suture. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So um, that, what really sometimes overwhelms me, actually, when I came back from places like Mongolia, Thailand, South Sudan, is when I go, for example, like to a mall and I just see so much consumerism and everyone's walking and talking and you know before covid just the a mall is packed so that sometimes can be overwhelming and um just to think like whoa this whole store is full of clothes and yet there's people that need these clothes you know so that kind of thing but as far as in the hospital yes you are correct in in the countries that i've been to outside of the united states a lot of times we use our clinical judgment we use our brains our hands everything we have and uh, we have to think outside the box uh, for sure um like i had to put an ng tube down a pregnant lady who had um um a obstructive bowel and um we, we didn't have an ng tube so i used actually um IV tubing. And then we put um, a a piece of a metal inside of it. So it'd be stiffer to go down. So just, just those kind of things, those kind of things. So thinking outside the box and in the United States, of course I don't, I say I need an NG and a nurse puts an NG. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In my experience, you know, even, um, in Ghana, like there's been times where we've had to use, um, you know, for mesh, for inguinal hernia meshes, we'd had to use the, um, you know, the, the screens, uh, the the window, (gasps) You know, you oh. just sterilize that, right? And it's it's wow. pliable and it's malleable. Sometimes you've had to do that. <coughs> it's very rare, but sometimes we've had to do that. And for NG tubes, sometimes it's a foley, you know, mm. and um, and definitely for drains, we use foleys, you know, for drains and so forth. But you do what you got to do, and I definitely, I definitely understand your your perspective. So I've had one person on the show before, and he was a pediatrician. 
coming right out of residency, went into locums. And a lot of the traditional docs that he worked with, a lot of his attendings actually discouraged him from going into locums. And I know there's a lot of old notions. I do locums and I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, people who do locums can't do A, can't do B, can't work with C, D. Talk to us about those 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 type of notions, because um, there's a lot of young folks who are listening to the show. I mean, you know, attendings who are young or even young residents who are thinking about doing locums and they may be getting discouraged by their attendings because most of the attendings don't know anything about locums. So they just badmouth it. So talk to us about that. Well, I have to say, I only have positive things to say about locums. And when my medical students and my residents in Boston or other places in the United States ask me, I say, go for it. Now, usually if you can go someplace, I usually tell them, try to go someplace where you're going to get a lot of great experience. So you do want to kind of do locums in the beginning with someone who perhaps is there who does have a lot of experience so that when that one in a million cases comes through the door, you kind of have someone that says, okay, let's try this and that. And then you know, so next time when you go to someplace rural and you're the only one, you're like, oh, I did that once. So, you know, but I really feel like locums has given me a significant amount of experience that I probably wouldn't have had if I just stayed in Boston, just taking care of, um, you know, the hospital where, uh, where I feel is my home base, where I grew up uh, partly. And um, so but I feel locums helps not only open your mind, but even when you come back to Boston after I've done locums, if I meet someone from, you know, from a certain village in Haiti, I can say, hey, I went to your village. I did this. Or someone from North Dakota, I can say, oh, I've been to North Dakota. I know, you know, in Minot, the, 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 um, the saying is, why not Minot? Freezing is the reason. And they love it. They start <laughs> laughing. You know our motto. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. So you can, it, it opens you up to be a, a physician of the world, actually. And um, I feel like in my case, it has given me a lot of great experience and the beginning when I did uh, locums for ER, I was sent to ERs where it was, I was it. And then even for OBGYN, I was it. And I think that also as a physician gives you um, a certain sense of, um, I have to, I have to get things done. I have to resolve because the buck stops with me and I'm it. And then also, it also gives you a sense of later on when you go someplace else, a sense of, oh, okay, I have done this before. So I, I can do this. I can do this. And I felt for me, especially, um, I, I have had only had great experiences in most of the 99.9% of the time, great experiences. And um, I felt like it really has enhanced me as a physician and as a human. So mm. for me, it's only been positive. Mm. Thank you for, I, I, I loved your answer. Your answer was great. So for all you young folks listening, there's the answer <laughs> right there. So let's, let's go into medical volunteer, volunteerism or volunteeringism, I guess, or medical humanitarian work. How do you, because I'm, I'm sure you've worked with different organizations. Mm-hmm. How do you vet them? How do you know, okay, this is a legit organization. I'm going to go and work with them and spend a year or however long with them. Yes, that's a very good question because there are exactly um, places that I probably would not go and, and et cetera. Um, what I usually try to choose is um, someplace that a colleague of mine whom I trust has suggested or someplace I really want to go. I really wanted to go to South Sudan since I was like 11 years old. So I was trying to look for the correct place so I could go to South Sudan. And um, I just found this wonderful group, CMMB, and I had 
read a book about this Dr. Tom Dooley, who was an orthopedic surgeon who worked with them for many years in Vietnam. And I thought, oh, this is the group Dr. Tom Dooley worked with. So um, I went with them. And usually when you do that first interview, et cetera, you kind of know what they're doing, where they're going and, and kind of know who's, who is really going to be the most helpful and who probably you would probably want to avoid. You can tell that after a while, I would say, but mostly it's just from suggestions from other people or places I wanted to go in groups that I know have a reputation of being excellent. So that's the same organization that you had to fundraise for, right? Correct. Correct. So just so people know, just because you had to fundraise doesn't mean it was gonna, it was going to be a bad experience. It's just oh no, there's you know some places just don't have the funds to do. That's correct. Yeah. So that's a really really good point. So let let's talk about Utkiavik. Excuse me. Did I get it right? Utkiavik. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I've been practicing it, um, which good, is the you. northernmost town in North America. This is in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing some research on it. It gets so cold up there that the only excess that you have up there is by plane, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess the 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 sea in that area is frozen most of the time, and is when that it is correct fr- defrosts or you know allows uh, ships to come through only one time a year. So whatever mm-hmm. you need to get from there, that's it. If you can't get it through that time, that's it. Everything else has to be flown out there, and a that pizza is, is like twenty bucks. Is that true? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. All of that is correct. So I had the incredible opportunity through locums, through uh, global medical staffing locums. They said, uh, Dr. Consley, we have something that's going to blow you away. So in Utkivik or Barrow, Alaska, which is the most northern point of North America, you got that absolutely 100% correct. We have an opportunity for you. They um, need an OBGYN. They've never in the history of Utkivik have had an OBGYN up never. there stationed. Never. Never stationed there. They've had some come in and out, but never stationed there. The the family medicine physicians who are there would really like someone to come and start from the ground, just bring in OBGYN, do pap smears, colposcopies, do start an OBGYN department. They're going to build um, a operating room for you so you can do C-sections, DNCs, hysterectomies. So, yeah. so, so, yeah, so I went there and I have to tell you though, the disappointing, but see now this is also, so this is part of locums is that when I got there, everyone was gun ho we're starting. I saw blueprints for an OR and unfortunately COVID hit. Mm, so okay. everything was put on everything. Oh, so was this is on. very recently. This is oh, two, yeah. a year oh, yeah. ago, two yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, two years ago. So, um, so it was put on hold. So I, when I was there, though, I thought I am not going to waste this opportunity. So we started preventive medicine programs. We started mammo because I had a mammogram machine. We started mammograms. People calling people in for mammograms for pap. There was a lady who hadn't had her follow up for her high grade pap smear since 2014. So she, we had her come in. We what? you know did a. Yes, yes. We did colposcopies. We did all these incredible things. So not only do, did I take care of the 5,000 people in Utkivik, I also was in charge of the other 5,000 people from all the other little villages that come in and fix wing plane just to see a doctor. So, um, so we did that. And then um, it was a great experience. And the family medicine physicians that are there are heroes. They are just heroes because they are so brave and courageous. And um, I was my pleasure and my honor to work with them there. And I would go to, they would call me for every delivery and um, I would be with them there. And also for any emergencies, GYN or otherwise, they would call me in because uh, I was basically on call 24 seven, which for me, I, I enjoy, it's fun. And so, um, 
they call me, but it was quite an experience. I got to try for the first time in my life, whale meat, because they, they uh, go whale hunting. That's their big thing. So up there, they have very basic food, naturally. Whale meat, seal meat, and caribou meat. No vegetables grow there. No fruit grow there. Because as you said, it's permafrost frost the ground. So they, um, they can't grow anything. And um, so I tried all those three meats. Very interesting. Um, <laughs> not any, more, not any, any different than trying scorpions in China or cockroaches on the streets of Lebanon. So not any different than that. However, um, uh, the food was there. I, I always tell myself, if someone can eat this for thousands of years and they're still here, why can't I try it? So yeah. I, tr- I try everything. So anyways, it was really exciting. The local people were so beautiful to me, so loving, so caring. And, um, you know, people are tough up there because the weather is tough, right? So they have to be tough as well. And I was really impressed with their grit and determination. And, um, and I also was really surprised by some of the social problems, issues in Utkivik being so isolated. Um, however, for me, and, and it you're was, mainly, you're mainly working with a native American population, correct? Oh, almost solely with the Native yeah. American okay. population. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so um, Native American, they, they're es- they like to be called Eskimos because when I would say Native Americans, they're like, Native Americans are Native Americans. We're Eskimos. So I would be like, mm. okay. Okay. So, right. yes. Yes. So, but it was a, and their, um, their tribe is called Inupiaq, the Inupiaq tribe. Inupiac. And a uh, very sturdy tribe, very, very tough tribe. And I love them. And those ladies used to just push out babies with not even a, Tylenol. And they would just, <laughs> I, my eyes would just be like, wow, I'm so impressed with you. Yep. Wow. Wow. And how long were you there for? A total of 18 months. Now that's some place that I was two months there and I would come back for one month to Boston, two mm. months there, one month back to Boston. Cause that's the way they they have the, the plan for their locums to do. Seasonal affective disorder at all? <laughs> so they actually got me a special little lamp that I had on my desk and it would burn in my retinas. And so I was, I was okay. I was okay. <laughs> Cause I was reading like, there's like several months where the sun doesn't come up oh, because yeah. it's below the, it's, or it's above the horizon. I forgot how it was, but yes, it's very yes. interesting. Half of the year, almost half of the year is completely dark and almost half of the year is um, completely light. Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. Well, look, yep. let me, let me ask you a question. Cause a lot of people also have a question about finances. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, well, how are you able to get your finances in order? You're not employed or you're working as a, you know, when you're a locums, like how do you arrange for your 401k or do you even have one? How do you um, how do you sustain yourself so that you can have long term, you know, sustainability so that when you retire, there's something there for you? How do you arrange your, you know, finances so that you can answer that question for them? Sure. So, um, yes, I do have retirement plans. So, um, for example, when I was offered a retirement plan in Boston at my job, I said, yes. So I have, when I actually, some locum jobs actually do give retirement plans, insurance plans. It just depends what you do. So like in Alaska, they actually have an excellent retirement plan. And so I signed up for it. So those 18 months, I, I banked away my retirement um, money and different places that I have been when they offer me a retirement plan, I always say yes. And I always put the max in that I can. Um, I save my, I try not to use my money except for traveling and things that I like to do and I like to see. And so, um, I feel like, um, I, I feel like I'm okay in, in that aspect. 
Yeah, I think for um, uh, for me, you know, well, real quick before we um, the last person we interviewed on the show, uh, he was able to get all of his home and housing and things that you would normally, you know, spend for it like that. He doesn't pay for that at all because he'll go from one locum's job to another locum's job. And he's like staying in one extended stay in another extended stay. As a matter of fact, when we did the interview, you can tell, you know, he was in an extended stay hotel <laughs> in one realm. I was like, wow, like that's um, that's great. Right. Like you don't have to worry about rent whatsoever. Um, but also at the same time, that gets tired after a while. But, you know, it, it to. It, everybody has their own, you know, what they like and so forth. Because um, I think a lot of people oftentimes when they think about locums and they're not experienced with it or don't know anything about it, you know, they think about, you know, the negatives that go along with it. Sure. And I think that you've done a great job of just showing that, first of all, like you said, life, particularly a non-traditional clinical experience, is extremely rewarding. Um, you know, me and my wife are, are actually considering going overseas for an extended period of time, whether Ooh. it's in Ghana um, or possibly uh, maybe in Australia or even New Zealand because we went there for our honeymoon mm-hmm. and we really enjoyed it over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously someplace in, 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 in Africa or Ghana where we can get a third world experience and really help out, like you said, where you're a doctor for, you know, possibly tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand people is an experience that you just can't get anywhere else. Um, but you can really make a huge difference is something that, you know, I'm really, really interested in. Um, if there's any like parting thoughts, any parting words that you want to give to to the audience, what might that be? Live your dreams, be courageous, go it, yeah. for it, jump off that cliff. Because you know what? Like you said before, there's going to be a parachute there that's going to just help you and you're going to go paragliding and have a blast. You don't have to do it the rest of your life. You can just do it a few times. But so many people have a desire to travel and do it. Just do it. Do it. Be courageous. That would be my last parting words. I love it. So listen, everyone, this is Dr. Rachel Consoli. Um, I found all the articles that Global Medical Staffing, they use you a lot <laughs> for the articles. <laughs> so I got at least four articles here um, that I'm going to link in the show notes, everyone, so that you can read more about her, as well as some of the other dope physicians who are doing great things all over the world and giving these great experiences. Um, Dr. Consoli, this was amazing. Thank you very much. Kudos to you for your experience and what you're doing, especially right now, the volunteer work that you're doing. Um, um, you know, in, in South Korea, um, hopefully, you know, everything turns out okay. And I'll hopefully reach out to you maybe in the future. Cause I might be getting some advice from you because me and my wife, Renee, she's OB, you know, and she's OB hospitalist also. Um, maybe we might be doing something very similar. So Ooh, nice. once again, thank you very much for your time and for what you're doing. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Ning, the Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.